0: The Gospel lesson today comes from the Gospel according to to John, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, and please stand again as you are able for the reading of the Gospel. You can find this on page 1053 of the Pew Bible, from John 1, beginning at verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. (coughs) Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. And you may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The incarnation of Jesus Christ is a miracle. We talked about this some last night. The word incarnation, it's a fancy theological word that means enfleshment. The eternal and infinite Son of God took on finite and corruptible human flesh, and he did it in a miraculous way. Without the help of a man, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. It was a true miracle. Last night we talked about the smallness of this miracle. Part of the smallness of it is the size of it. There was a time immediately after Jesus was conceived when his human body consisted of only one cell. And in that one cell, All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's just part of the smallness. The other part of the smallness is the humility side of the thing. No one in Bethlehem, and here we're especially talking about Joseph's relatives, no one in Bethlehem gave Mary a place to give birth to her child. So she wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. And remember that a manger is a feeding trough for animals. This is the other part of the smallness. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. The humility of that manger set the pattern for the rest of his earthly life. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. The despising of him carried on from his birth, at which he was laid in a manger, all the way to his death, when he was nailed to a cross to suffer and die for the sins of the world. And that is the smallness of the thing. And to fully appreciate the miracle of his incarnation, we need to recognize both the smallness and the bigness of this person. John teaches us the bigness of Jesus. This passage is John's Christmas story. Three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, record the miracle of Christmas. And this year, the calendar lines up such that we get to hear all three of them during our worship together. Last Sunday, we heard Matthew's account, which tells the story primarily from Joseph's perspective. Last night, we heard Luke's account, which tells the story primarily from Mary's perspective. And this morning, we heard John's account. And John's account is quite different. Instead of recording all of the historical details, he tells it more from a theological perspective. That is, after hearing Joseph's perspective and Mary's perspective, this is more like hearing God's perspective on the thing. And so John highlights the bigness of Jesus. He does this by going all the way back to the beginning. He opens his gospel with the very familiar words, in the beginning. And what do those remind us of? How about, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so when John says, in the beginning, those words to start his gospel, he's drawing our attention back to creation, to Genesis. Now imagine that we're reading the gospel of John for the very first time. When we hear the words, in the beginning, we might expect John to tell us a Genesis story or an origin story. And if we know beforehand that John is writing about Jesus, we might expect him to tell us about the beginning of the Son of God. We might expect him to say something like, in the beginning, God created the Son. But John doesn't do that. Matthew and Luke, in their Christmas stories, go into great detail about how the Son of God became man. And we might expect John to tell us the story of how he became God, but he doesn't. And he doesn't do that because he can't do that. There is no story about that. Instead, he writes, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word, with a capital W, refers to Jesus. We see this in verse 14, where John writes, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. But in verse 1, John writes, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John can't tell us how Jesus became God, or how the Son of God was created, because he did not become God, and he was not created. When John goes on to talk about how the Son of God became man, he can tell us that. The Word became flesh. But he doesn't say anything about the Word becoming God. He simply says, and the Word was God. And so notice the difference between those words, became and was. And this might be a little bit technical, but it's really important for Christians to understand. Notice the difference between those words, became and was. The word became, it has a definite historical starting point to it. Sometime around 5 or maybe 2 B.C., the word became flesh. But the word was is timeless. There's no starting point to it. The eternal word did not become God. The word with a capital W was God. He just was. The word was not created The Son of God has always been. He is the eternal word. Now, if we expected John to tell us how Jesus was created, we might be in for another surprise. Not only was he not created, he is himself the creator. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus cannot be a created being because nothing has ever been created without him. He is the word by which the Father created all things. In the Creed, we confess that we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of of heaven and earth, or creator of all things, visible and invisible. But the Father was not alone in the work of creation. In the beginning, God, that is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, together, God created the heavens and the earth. And God the Father, uh, we confess, is the primary person responsible for creation, but he was not alone. He did all of his creating through the Son. The Son is the eternal word through whom heaven and earth were created. John calls him the word. And he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. John also calls him the true light. And by calling him the true light, this distinguishes Jesus from the created light, that of the sun and the moon and the stars. But Jesus is the true light. And this is something greater than the physical light that we observe. This is spiritual light. And when we say spiritual, we don't mean less than physical light. If anything, it is more than physical light. He is a more powerful light because he is the source of every other created light. But this is a light that children of darkness oftentimes cannot see, cannot comprehend. Verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Another way to translate that, uh, and so sometimes translations, they go one or or the other with this, it might say the darkness has not understood it. So the darkness cannot overcome it. The darkness cannot comprehend or understand it. Spiritual darkness is much worse than physical darkness. Physical darkness is just the absence of light. But spiritual darkness is more than just the absence of God. It is hostility against God. Spiritual darkness is pure evil. Later in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, the light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The darkness in us hides from God. The darkness of sin hates God, fears God, not in a good way, and does not understand God. The darkness of sin hates and fears the light when God says, your works are evil. And the darkness of sin also does not understand or comprehend the light when God says the other word, your sins are forgiven. In our more honest moments, we recognize that we are children of darkness. And if we are sinful and dark, then it, it, just, it just doesn't make any sense that the light of the world would want anything to do with us. We don't understand, by nature, the concept of forgiveness. And since we do not understand it, we remain in fear. Because light is, destroys darkness, and we don't want to be destroyed. We cannot grasp with our natural minds the idea that this light will drive away darkness without destroying the children of darkness. So the darkness has not understood the light, but glory to God, the darkness also cannot overcome the light. This is the thing about the battle between darkness and light. Darkness never wins. It cannot win. Wherever darkness and light meet, light always wins. There are places where darkness reigns as a powerful and destructive force. But when a light comes into that dark place, the darkness vanishes. Darkness has no defense against light. Whenever darkness and light meet, darkness gives way and ceases to exist as if it had never even existed in the first place. Now, children of darkness still love darkness the darkness, because it conceals our wickedness. And so when the light comes, we hate it, we run from it, and we oppose it. And this is exactly what happened when the light, when the true light came into the world. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. This is the eternal word by whom heaven and earth were created. And this is the true light who became flesh to be rejected by his own. The eternal word became flesh and dwelt among us and we rejected him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. How tragic it sounds. The light came to drive away the darkness, but the children of darkness did not recognize the light. They did not comprehend the light, and so they tried to overcome him. And they thought they had when they had nailed him to the cross to die, but their violence against the light turned out to be his victory over darkness. Because in that darkness that came over the land for three hours, he was swallowing up the darkness of sin and death. And by this he overcame the darkness. And this is his bigness. By becoming small, both in size and in the eyes of the world, he triumphed over darkness. And he is now exalted to the right hand of the Father for all eternity. The miracle of Jesus' incarnation is that he is both small and big at the same time. He is the eternal God. Always has been, is, and always will be. Paul writes about this in Colossians. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. His bigness is so big and so powerful that it can conceal itself and wrap itself up in the form of something small. We heard about it this morning in the epistle lesson from Hebrews. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. All the bigness of God was and still is in his body. The bigness of God took up residence in the smallness of humanity in order to deliver us from darkness, forgive us our sins, and raise us from death. Now, this is also the miracle of the real presence of Jesus in the Lord's Supper. And this is why uh, we're having Holy Communion on Christmas Day, even though it's not the normal first Sunday of the month. The Lord's Supper is not exactly like Christmas. There are differences. But there's also a similarity. In his incarnation, the eternal and infinite Son of God took for himself, for the rest of eternity, human flesh. Now in the Lord's Supper, the eternal and infinite human Son of God takes the form of bread and wine for us, and he comes again to us. His bigness comes to us in smallness so that we can receive him. He does this by his power. The very body that was once broken for us takes the form of bread, and the very blood that was poured out for our sins takes the form of the cup. Everything that he won for us when he went to the cross, he delivers to us now through his body and blood. As the world once received the Son of God, as Mary received the Son of God, so now we also receive the Son of God, both his humanity and his divinity. And he comes to us to deliver us from darkness, to forgive us our sins, and to raise us from death. Amen. And may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.